Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but the choir needs to change their tune. <laughs> Not a tune so much, but maybe upgrade, maybe go up an octave. And uh, we've been preaching into the whole idea of, of radical hearts, the radical being the radical root that comes out of the seed, not a misspelling. We're not talking about become radical, but that's where the word comes from, the Latin radicalis. It's a root of all things. What's driving us? What fuels your heart? And um, it's just a topic that's just never going to go old. And today I want to talk about sacredness. Sacredness. And to be honest, it's, not, it's a message I've never heard. I don't know why. I've just never heard a message on the sacredness. Of God and, and what he does and, and who he is. But think for a moment, uh, just to get you primed on this, of a time, doesn't matter how old you are, you'll have a time where you look back, it seems like an eternity ago, if you're 22 it's like when you were 18, uh, at my age it's, it's all, of the, all of it, you know. Remember a simple time, do you remember a time when life wasn't so complex? When there wasn't as many worries and, and uh, issues and uh, things surrounding you? I often hear stories of people who've been through the Depression years and the war years, and they had nothing, and they strove for nothing other than to survive and get the world ready for the next generation. Hope was high. But they would treasure the smallest thing. You look at the concentration camps and the little, the little icons that they would carry with them, just to, to remind them of life and of love and what mattered. The simplest thing, a knot in a piece of string sometimes, became sacred. When I was a child, uh, and it actually hasn't changed, to be honest, it was always related to a car. So I used to have a Hot Wheels car. Always had a Hot Wheels car. I'm still dreaming of Hot Wheels cars, and I'm glad I've got five grandsons now, because now I just go to the supermarket and buy Hot Wheels kits. Now I'm dreaming of the upgrade. We're going to go to slot cars at at some stage, so it's going to get awesome. But it's always... I had this little car, and I'd carry that little car everywhere. And it was sacred. It was my car. It was simple. It was valuable. It's all I had, and it didn't mean it meant so much to me. And you might have had those same things as well, but something happens to us as we get older, and there's more. Everything's more. There's more things available. There's more immediacy about stuff. And the more we get, the less valuable the things we have become. Maybe you notice that. And the more we get, the more afraid we are of losing it. It's like, why, why can't we just go back to being the way it was simple? But the, the current world we're in, and the trajectory of this is not going to change anytime soon. The immediacy and the availability of almost everything incites us to rush in, to not take the time and the, the, the breath to value things. And so we trample on things. We trample on each other. We consume, we consume. We don't stop to think and value the small. And we're somehow worse for that. And we can feel it in our spirits. And there's examples in Scripture that are incredibly sobering. And if you know me, I'm not one who focuses on the negative in in scripture, but there are things there that we can't trample on. We can't rush past. And I found it, when I first read scripture, and and for many years after, puzzling when I read some of the events, where there are instant and incredible ramifications of something that seems so small. It's like the sacred was trampled on for a moment, and something happened where God says, stop. This matters. You can't do that. You look at 1 Samuel 13, and there's Saul. 
He's trying to be a faithful king and, and he's been told, wait until I come, Samuel says to him, in seven days and I'll offer the sacrifice and he can go into war. And Saul waits and it seems like Samuel's not turning up. He, he reveres God enough to think we've got to have the sacrifice, but I'm losing my troops by the moment and the, and the opposition's coming. I better do the sacrifice. Samuel's a no-show. And so he starts to do it and Samuel just sort of walks up behind and goes, what the heck are you doing? What do you, how can you dare trample on something that's so sacred? And Saul goes, I just didn't know. I mean, and it seems so innocent. And yet for God, this mattered. Don't you dare trample on this thing. This matters to me. You look at Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, ever heard a message on that? They've sold their property and they give a portion to the church and, and, and Peter says, is that all there is? And, oh yeah, that's all we sold it for. So, you know, and None of us have not told a bit of a whitey now and again, hey? None of us have not stretched it just a little bit. That cost them their life. And you think, they were trampling on this thing called truth. And in that moment where God's presence was so intense, and this is what you learn about when you begin to steward God's presence corporately and individually, the more imminent his presence, the more timely and short the distance between sin and judgment. And so in that moment, judgment came. You've just trampled on what is sacred. Truth, sacred. You look at Moses in Numbers 20. You think, man, talk about a... Did it really matter? You know, he struck the rock the second time when the people were complaining about water. He says, oh, you want water here? Have water. And because it worked last time, struck the rock, out comes the water. But God had told him, hey, speak to the rock. He goes, whatever, whack. Water came still, but judgment came too. And from that moment, he, he was barred from the, the promised land. Incredible price to pay for what seemed like such a, an easy mistake to make. You and I have made mistakes a hundred times bigger than that. You wonder how close we are. <laughs> that the, the grace of God, his hand is being withheld on what he takes sacred and what we trample on. And it's a window into God's heart. He just says, guys... He doesn't long to judge, but he wants us to know what is sacred and to treat that which is sacred. But we're in a secular culture, and secular culture shelves what's sacred. It, it, it treats it with a sort of quaint superstition. Oh, that's a thing that the old religious people used to treat so valuably, and we put them on a museum shelf and put them under glass. And, and... But God just loves jumping off the shelf. I'm remembering now seasons uh, that many of you who are here have been with me in those seasons where, where the Lord has come in incredible power and, and, and we've had retreats or things going on and we see incredible miracles, cancers being healed and, and bodies being reconstructed, babies born where there's no wombs and all these sorts of things. Previously there was when the baby was born. All the stuff. And the word gets out and I remember vividly when that stuff became, be, began to become Hang on, there's no question here. This isn't emotionalism. This is miraculous. God's doing an amazing thing and saw a culture change and suddenly hundreds more people coming to church. Suddenly the crowds are coming. Suddenly we've got an overflow. Suddenly there's six, 700 people per service where there was 200 two weeks before. And you see that the presence, the imminence of God and the power when he begins to work in our life, when his people begin to learn how to cooperate with that and that the, that the things that go along with that, repentance is fast then. Because no one doubts that he's here. Do you know he's here? He's here right now. Not just because he's in you all the time, but he is here right now. I was sensing it as we were worshipping. We called him in. We're saying, Father, we can't do this without you. He is sitting between you and the person next to you. 
He's watching, loving, calling you to more. Faith increases. Repentance is fast. But the global church is entering a really exciting season as we begin to reassess again what is sacred. Because if you know, uh, if you've looked at our website and you see these sort of circles that I love to draw the circle, the presence of God in every season that we're going round and around. And there's this thing happening in the church globally. Things happen in short seasons, long seasons. But in the Reformation, there was a, there was a real correction. This is 500 years ago now. There was a real correction that went on where some things were treated as sacred and whatever wasn't sacred was secular. And so you had this thing where certain spaces, certain moments and, and certain people, priests, popes, were sacred, infallible. You know, touch not God's anointed sort of thing. You come to church and it's sacred. There's a relic there and it's sacred. And what happened through the Reformation is Luther essentially called it all out and said there's no divide locationally between that which is sacred and that which is secular. And he really declared, you know, it's no more holy to be a priest working in the church than it is to be a a maidservant because they can be honouring God in what they do. And he, he busted down this barrier between the secular and the sacred. And, he know, and we know now, we take for granted now, that anything that we do can be holy. Anything that we do can be sacred if it's done with God and for God's reasons. But the initial problem with sacredness and the way that the church created sacred spaces was it was devoid of presence. And this, this happened before Jesus as well as after. Buildings and objects became sacred, but the hearts within them could be defiled because we said the object, the person, is sacred. And so we could have politically, um, we could have ethically absent church leaders where they could say, well, I have the position, but I'm living in debauchery. And in the medieval days, the things that went under the banner of the church were terrible. And yet we were prepared to call all that still sacred. And so the buildings weren't declared sacred because God was present, they were, or, they, or because God had declared them sacred. We declared them sacred because we wanted to connect them with God. But the charade got called by Luther, and the ordinary life became valuable. But what's happened in that time is that the, as the ordinary has lost its sacredness and our culture has become secular, the church has followed. And so now church has become secular. Now church has become, in some way, less sacred. And by sanctifying everything, as the world evolves through into secularism, we've managed to desanctify everything. And so nothing is sacred anymore. There's no sense that what happens here on a Sunday is particularly holy. It's just a building. Through the week, there's meetings about all sorts of things going on. The immediacy of life floods in on us, and there's little preparation of our hearts and you'll know what it's like. What do you like when you come in on Sunday? Are we preparing our hearts? Are we entering into this room and taking a breath? God's here. It doesn't happen so much anymore. We're less aware of God and we're more aware of, of lights and song choice and imperfection in the leadership or whatever it is. We don't want to be that way, but unless we're reminded of it, we slip into that. So I want, I want to build a case for you now to bring us back to the sacred. Because what's happened is we've gone with Reformation, There's reform, and if you look at our little cycle on the website, there's reformation, then there's refocusing, then there's reproducing, and then there's refreshing. And then the seasons come and the seasons go. The church went through reformation. Then it found its focus. It became theologically correct and then became the highest 
uh, credible people in the, in the population again were the doctors and the pastors. It was interesting back then. And then we got focused back on what mattered. And then we began to reproduce and all the church growth movements came and, 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 and spread and we've had mega church, we've had everything church. But now it's a time where the world has become secular and the church can feel secular too because I'm just walking into another building. But now it's time for refreshing. Now it's time to restore again that which was sacred, define what makes it sacred and embrace that. So originally those icons that were meant to incite awe and a sense of majesty and presence were there. And, and in a sense, that was great. I love that. I love the sense that there were buildings that were just, you look at them and you go, oh, God, it's the majesty of the building. They invited God's presence and people were prompted to repent and to bow and to worship in a sense of grandeur. But when the building replaced God's presence, this is where the problem comes in. When the building replaces the presence, it can become a form of control and manipulation and it becomes false because it's God's presence that makes something sacred. It's not the fact that we make it and say it's attached to him, it's his presence with that, whatever it is. God's presence. Moses was told, remove your shoes. This is sacred ground. Why was it sacred? God was there. He trampled that ground many, many years before and many times. He'd been there many times, but suddenly it's sacred because God is now present there. The bush is burning, I'm talking to you. And the more God is present, the more sacred this place becomes. The irony is God's always present. God's everywhere, all the time, every when. But he's not always invited. He's always there, but he's not always embraced. So Jacob could realise suddenly he sees a stairway to heaven and long before Led Zeppelin wrote the song and he says, you know... God's been here the whole time and I never knew. So he can be present, but we can't embrace that. Revelation 3.20, Jesus has to write a letter to the church and say, hey, you're here, I'm out there, and I'm banging on the door and I'm knocking. Will you let me in? Because he leaves the latch on the inside. He couldn't open the door. We had to open the door. And he wants us to invite his presence in, and then the place becomes sacred. In 2 Chronicles 5.7, we see just the ultimate picture of this in the Old Testament. There's Solomon, he's built this temple, his father designed it, he spent his whole lifetime getting it all together, Solomon finally builds it, they get to the point, I don't know how long it was, it might have been 40, 50 years since the idea was conceived, now we have a temple, now we have this incredible thing and all the priests come in and there's sacrifice and they're, they're killing more beef than you can poke a stick at, blood's running through the city, they have objects and all the rituals and all the stuff's going on but there was no presence there. But when the worshippers began to sing, and read the story when you go home in 2 Chronicles 5 through to 7, then the worshippers began. God is great. His mercy endures forever. And they begin the chant and all the people join in and this resonance with heaven and earth begins to happen. And what happens? The glory came and they all had to stop in the end. They couldn't function because God's presence was so thick there. Then we get to 2 Chronicles 7, Solomon prays, heartfelt leadership prayer. I can't do this on my own. This thing you've called me to is bigger than me. We're not doing this without you. Will you come? Will you save this nation? Will you do this stuff? And God's glory comes like fire from heaven. It pours down. Can you imagine seeing that? Going, <laughs> look, look at that. Fire from beyond where you can see just coming down upon this place. Amazing stuff. When they prayed and when they worshipped, God came and his presence filled the temple and his presence made it sacred. Suddenly that space became sacred. Then we get to Acts chapter 2. 
And there's a new temple being commissioned. Amazing. Herod's just spent 30-odd years building the new temple. And God just goes, let me trump this. They're in the upper room. The disciples are there. Jesus is gone. He's told them to tarry. They're praying away. The fire comes again. Same fire that dedicated the temple comes again. And it rests on every head. And the significance is massive, huge, religion-bending stuff. Because now we are the temple. You and you and you and you. Now you are the temple. It's taken God how many years old that you are to create this temple that is you. That fire, that power, that presence, that sacredness is now in you. You are sacred. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Get a grip on what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians. Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you realize? Because they're being flippant. They're, being, they're trampling on each other and on, on God's presence. You yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. We can brush over this because we go, like, oh, I know, I know. The spirit's in me. I have the deposit. Mm, that's not what he's saying. Because he, Remember the term I used last year? And if you knew to us, forgive me on this one. We had this Texan term of y'all. Right? So Tanya is y'all. So God's in y'all, God's in y'all, and God's in y'all. But if I want to say God's in all of us together, I say God's in all y'all. This is what he's saying. It's, it's, it's plural. It's saying, it's saying God's in all y'all. All y'all together are God's temple, singular. He's recognizing there's a moment and there's a time where we say, yes, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. But in this sense, he's saying, you Corinthian church, get a grip, because when you come together, all y'all make up this whole other thing of the temple of the Holy Spirit. That can only be there because you're all living stones, and only when the living stones come together, something incredible and sacred happens right here, right now. That can't happen at home. You can't download it. You can't play it in your car on your own. And every week, and we've been doing this for some of us for decades, and not really, hang on, there's something happens here. And God's been here the whole time and we haven't known. It's been said that the most neglected person in the church is the Holy Spirit. Lord, let it never happen here. So the importance of the context here of what, where and why Paul's saying this is huge. He's saying this in the Corinthian church. These are power players, man. These guys know all about the gifts. They know all about the anointing. They've worked in all the stuff. And Paul's pulling them up. saying, don't you dare trample on what's sacred. You go, what do you mean? We're talk, we understand the presence. We can work from it. We're using the gifts and so on. So now you're trampling on each other. You're not treating each other well. And, you're, and you're, you're doing this thing that is abhorrent to him who treats the temple so sacredly. Ephesians 3, he says it again. In, in him, in God, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. See what he's saying? It's only when we're all joined together we make this holy temple. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's, he's thoroughly recognising there's two aspects to this, that you are God's temple, fantastic. But, the, but when we're all being built together, this is what I sit back and watch what he's doing at Kenmore Church and who he's bringing in. I'm thinking, there's another stone. There's another stone. Look at these living stones. Look at this temple he's building. God, what are you up to? Let me know when I'm ready. I think I'm on a need-to-know basis and I've got no clue. I don't need to know, apparently. So the big point here is God sees the, the gatherings that we do here. This, He sees Sunday as sacred. We can't trample on Sunday. 
Something happens here that can never happen anywhere else because he dwells in you and when we join together and invite him, anything's possible. And I'm saying this so that you'll understand. When, we, when I say a thing like the value, we value here the presence of God in every season and every place that we join together, this is what I'm saying. This is sacred. And we're going to keep turning the temperature up on this because his presence matters. In 2 Samuel 6.6, we see a really sober account, really sobering stuff. I, I, to be honest, I have never fully been able to accept it. It's a story of user as they're, as they're bringing in the, 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 the tabernacle on the cart, doing it all the wrong way. Good, good heart, David. But man, where did I ever say use an ox and a cart, dude? You're supposed to have priests and a pole and all this stuff. And there's user, innocent victim, you know, I guess, but um, not so innocent in the end. And, and the temple, uh, the, the ark rocks on the cart and he goes, whoa, God's presence touches it. Dead. Instant judgment. Imminence of presence and judgment. See how this be- begins to work. And he's gone. And this is what Paul is reminding Corinth about when he says, hey, what are you doing? Don't trample on each other because what you're effectively doing is you're putting a sledgehammer to the temple. <laughs> Criticised. <laughs> Undervalued. <laughs> there it is. You're, whacking, you're destroying God's temple. How can you do that? So where God's presence is, there is sacredness, there is power, and there needs to be honour. We've noticed, we, we, we go out of our way here to have prayer times before the church. If you've got no other ministry that you're involved in, can I really say the greatest ministry, there's two ministries you can do for us on Sunday that matter most. Get here early at 8 o'clock and pray. That's one. The other one is to find someone, one person a day that you haven't met and connect with them and let them know how valuable you are. Why? Because they're sacred. And why do we pray before church? Because this place is sacred. But what happens is, and it happens so frequently, so almost every other week I hear a story where someone who's come for the first time, they walk in and they, they just take a breath and they, and they might get weepy or they're going, I'm home or, or God is here and, and it's just this presence, this sacredness about this room. Yeah, it doesn't happen here through the week, I can tell you. I walk in here in and out all week. There's no sense of presence here at all. There's meetings about dementia or every other worthy thing, but something changes on Sunday. Like you get here at 7 o'clock at half past 7, this is what happened to the building, it's new. Because God's here. He's being invited in. And every one of you, as you come in, are another ember onto that fire. And we can, we can increase the anticipation of that by recognising it. Maybe I'll put a sign on the door out there. Take your shoes off, you know. <laughs> Actually, don't do that. Some of us shouldn't do that. But um, <laughs> recognise the sacredness of this place. We're going to start uh, this month, next month, first week of the month, uh, worship nights, Sunday night here. Uh, first Sunday of the month. It's for the God chasers. It's for the God chasers. You can't do everything in every setting. There are some things you just need to do when people have come for a specific purpose. And those Sunday nights, once a month, we're going to come. And it's just for those who, who, are, who have that insatiable desire. And those who have it know exactly what I mean. They're the God chasers. Lord, we, just, we need to de- go deeper into you. Father, we need more of your imminence. I need healing. We need more power, Lord, to do what you have for us to do. And we'll exercise the gifts of the Spirit there. We'll do all that sort of stuff. And it's, I just can't wait to get it started. So that'll start. When is that, Linda? 1st of March, Sunday. In here, what time? 5.30. Boom. The other thing that's sacred, obviously, is people. And the more you really read Scripture and get the heart for this, the more it'll stop you in your tracks. Jesus made a key statement. He said, what you do to the least of them, you do to me. And we can skim over that, but hang on. 
You're saying, what do I do to that person? I'm doing directly to God. That's what he's saying. You treat me as sacred, I'm calling us to treat people sacred. For the person next to you, they're sacred. 1 Corinthians 3.16, listen to how Paul goes on in his dialogue to the Corinthian church. If anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy that person. I'm glad I didn't say that because I'd be thrown out of church for saying that. If anyone destroys God's temple, sledgehammer, criticism, judgment, triviality, I can't be bothered, I don't need to be there, people don't matter, church doesn't matter, sledgehammer. That's what he's talking about. For God's temple is sacred and you together, all y'all, only all y'all, are that temple. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 11. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, so that's discerning each other, that's talking about us, discerning the body here, how we're going, am I treating each other well? Eat and drink judgment on themselves. Why? Because we're sacred. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. I would never say that. Because if he's not exaggerating, a lot of us are one sip away from judgment. Now I'm preaching to the choir. I know you're, none of you guys are struggling with this at all. Right? I'm just saying, let's just make sure we never do. <laughs> it's all the church down the road or something. It's got to be. You know, but that's heavy. I don't like that scripture. Because I'm not seeing people... Fall over dead in communion here at the moment. I hope we never do. But I'm wondering what that tells me. He's either exaggerating or the presence of God then was way more imminent than he is now. If that's the case, then we need to work on that. But do we dare? Do we dare? But do we have a choice? The third thing is sacred presence, there's sacred people, and there's sacred praise. It's praise that always catalyzes God to be present. Kate read it out a couple of times in the, in the worship today. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. It wasn't the rituals, it's not the objects, it doesn't matter what shoes you're wearing, thank God. I can't compete with the preacher sneakers. Like I'll spend money, everyone's checking them out. It's the same ones I've worn pretty much every week. I've only got one pair of feet, so I've got one pair of shoes. But I'll spend money on other stuff, you know. It's just weird about me. I just don't care. But um, I've completely lost my track. <laughs> it wasn't, it's not the shoes. It's not the shoes. It's not the objects. It's not the posters on the wall. Or it's not the, not the lights. It was the praise. It was the worship. And sometimes, I know, I know what it's like. Sometimes we just forget, don't we? We just forget. And we're thinking about every other thing. When, we, when our hearts... Some of those songs we sung this morning, and we're going to sing in a moment, it's like you can't sing that and really read that and go and stand up straight. You've got to bow. You've got to repent. You've got to wonder at, at the glory of God. You've got to stop and breathe for a moment and go, this is a sacred line I'm singing here. Jesus said, when you pray, when you, when you do anything with God, he's... Start with, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. They wouldn't even dare talk about it in the Hebrews' time. They couldn't even say his name. So sacred. And we've somehow made it a swear word. The pinnacle of heaven's activity 
What's the pinnacle of heaven when they're all getting together? What are they doing? They're worshiping. Holy, holy are you. Sacredness about who God is and the honor of just worshiping him. Let me finish with this scripture. It's so amazing when you look at it through this lens. Ephesians 3.10. God's intent was that now, through the church, through all y'all, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished. His intent was that now, through the church. So he's saying, you want to see the best of what I've got? Let me unveil the best of what I've got to the, to the heavenly realms, to the, to the dark forces, to the angels, the whole lot. Say, hey, listen up, time out. Want to see the best that I can do? Unveils. And there's Kenmore Church. The manifold wisdom of God. Manifold. You know what manifold means? I used to be a motor mechanic, so I understand a manifold. It's where one thing comes out, but it spreads out to many. And so each one of you is, a, is part of the manifold wisdom. Individual, unique, but it only makes sense. It only makes sense when we come together and the whole body is together. You see why I take Sundays serious? And Sunday's just the start. The real body life happens here on Monday. But it's just magnificent that the grand reveal of God's wisdom is you when we come together. Heavenly beings are shocked. And if we're not careful, we can just wake up on Sunday and just yawn. It's amazing. I've got nothing else to say. Can I just invite the team up and we're just going to worship? And I just invite you, we're going to keep turning up the heat on this heart. I just want to see our hearts transformed. I want to see, see us stretch the wineskins of what life in church looks like. But this rain has come. I was looking at the window this morning and I, I, was, I was wondering, three weeks ago, we, we, Australia was on fire. The, Warwick had no water. Stanthorpe thought was, was shipping it in. We were desperate. And look at us now. Now we're starting to go, man, it's raining again. Can't come to church today. <laughs> Cut that out of the tape because only, only the people who are here can hear that. All right? <laughs> Photographic evidence. It's okay. I've done the stats. I actually I, I went through the database yesterday and... Um, uh, was it yesterday, day before, and um, sort of culled it down to the people who are regular attenders and said these are regular attenders and that's fine. And it's actually not far off the, the amount of people who come here every Sunday. And what I'm saying is our attendance per person here is fantastic because we're building something. And I'm just hoping that we get the heart. I want to encourage you with that. But the heartbeat of Kenmore is that Sunday really matters. It really matters. If you're not here, we're worse off. We're worse off. But when you come here, it values God. It values the people around you. And don't waste that time. Come and give it to other people. Serve and love one another. And when we get a chance to worship like we are now, don't just stand there. If, if God's presence, you sense his presence, just bow. Or come out the front and, and get on your face. It's not unusual. Scripture calls that completely normal. It's just weird that we don't do that. So Western. But break out. Don't waste this moment. And if you feel God telling you, I need to bless somebody. You don't need my permission to do that. God's spirit is in you. If, if God speaks to you and says, that person over there needs my blessing, that blessing may come in the form of a hand on a shoulder and a prayer. It might look like a holy hug. It might look like a word of encouragement and calling out destiny. Function today. Let's function as his body. This is a sacred place.
Amen. If you need prayer, if you would like to have God's gifted people pray for you and minister and release that presence, then just come on over to the corner now after the, after the service and receive that prayer. We're seeing amazing things happen every week and the temperature's rising. Father, let's pray. Father, we pray. Lord, we just, Lord, I repent of the flippantness that we have, sometimes have with church. We just come in and just do what the motor neurons in our, uh, just say that we should be doing. We just keep doing what we've been doing. But Father, today we, we just call ourselves out and go, whoa, stop, breathe. This is your place, your moment. Holy people, holy presence. And Lord, we invite you, will you rain down, just like we're hearing the rain outside, will you rain in this place? Lord, I pray every sickness would, Father, sense your touch of healing right now. Every heart that's longing to see the, the prodigals come home, Lord, will you just rain on that? Scriptures say, pray for rain in the season of rain. It's, it's February in Queensland. It's a season of rain. Lord, we pray for rain, spiritual, physical. And I had this word as I walked in the church this morning that the believers bring the weather. The believers bring the weather, whether it's in your workplace, in your home place or your church place. You bring the weather with you. Is it sunshine? Is it rain? Is it dark times? How's the weather in your soul? Because you're bringing it with you. And so, Father, we invite the rain. Will you rain on our hearts? R-A-I-N and R-E-I-G-N. Let it rain. We're humbled in your presence. Let us join the angels now.